ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Calling Academy Feature Friday. This week, Michael talks about solo hunting tactics for elk. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Batiste. I'm from the Elk Calling Academy and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. The way Q&A works is we typically start with a subject. We'll kind of talk about that subject, but at any time, it doesn't matter which platform you're joining us, feel free to put your questions into the comment section and I'll do my best to answer those questions. There are some topics that I can't go into because we do have... um, you know, private lessons, we have a Patreon page. And so we do have members that actually do, um, you know, kind of pay for the course. So, but anyways, it doesn't matter if you're here from Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, welcome. If this is your first time here, or you're enjoying the content, make sure that you like, follow, or subscribe, whichever platform you're from. That way you get notified. So, uh, okay, we've had a few things pop in from Instagram. Uh, I've seen some big bulls this year on the feed grounds. Yeah, that's actually what I've been hearing too. I wish the snow would be doing that up in Northern Idaho. Are, Are you guys not getting a lot of snow up in Northern Idaho? Maybe it's just kind of the the mid belt that's that's really uh, getting hit. So, Caleb Newton, have you ever hunted Roosevelt's ever? No, I have not hunted uh, Rosies. I've been on a few Rosies hunt, but I personally have not hunted them. So, I have kind of started for some discussions about this fall. Uh, maybe heading over there and hunt rosies in Oregon. So, all right, so let's jump into tonight's topic. We have kind of a lot to go through. Um, we are, well, hold on from Facebook, Sage Hunter, first time. Sage, welcome. Glad you made it. So, um, 
Lots. It's just saying three and a half feet in Spirit Lake. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so tonight we're, we're going to kind of um, go into solo hunting ta- tactics. I know last week we talked about, you know, kind of how I tailor my approach throughout the different phases of the rut. Um, so tonight we're actually going to go into kind of those solo tactics. So solo hunting for elk is one of those things that can be the most frustrating, the most demoralizing, the most tiresome, but the most rewarding all at the same time. So knowing that you are the one that located, called, shot, broke down, packed off everything is one of those things that I mean, when you do it, you are going to be in pure agony in the middle of it, especially during the pack out. Um, I remember a few times where I've been, you know, packing out by myself and and just going through my mind is, oh, my gosh, this is just the worst situation I've ever been in. And this and that, you know, you fight with every ounce you have left in your body to get that elk off the mountain. And then once it's all off, you kind of sit there and you kind of regather your strength a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? That really wasn't that bad. And I did that all by myself. And that's the cool part. Solo hunting can be extremely rewarding, but you also under- need to understand your limitations as well. Because you're by yourself, meaning you are the one that is getting that whole elk off the mountain. You are the one that's doing all the work. You don't have anybody to rely on. I mean, yeah, you could maybe get to a place, get on the phone and call for backup. But you you need to think about other things as well. Meaning, um, you know, the chance of something going wrong or an injury, you know, rises exponentially. So... As a solo hunter, especially early in the year, I highly doubt that you are going to be going eight, nine, 10 miles deep. I'm not saying it can't be done, but honestly, I wouldn't recommend it. So, you know, kind of keep that into your thought process when you're thinking through this. So, um, okay. Now, since you are solo, there's there's a few things that really need to happen. So Instagram, Prasmataz, first time. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. So, so there, as far as the calling strategy or basically the calling type that I do, I still take the same calling approach with a few exceptions. So, um, <laughs> Josh, nothing rock stars and Snickers can't stop. I like it. Um, it uh, really, the, the big thing that changes is you don't have a caller back behind you now as the shooter. You are the caller. You are the shooter. So as far as the, the, the calling approach or the sounds that I'm doing, nothing changes if I'm solo or with a partner, I don't, I don't change anything. And in fact, the thing that I found is when I'm solo, I'm actually a lot more aggressive with the way that I move. And I, I tend to kind of move more often 
and quicker than what I would, you know, if I'm with a partner. So reason being is there's only one set of boots making noise and that's just me. Um, I can really be aware of where I'm placing my feet and where I'm stepping and how I'm moving. But on the flip side too, is when it comes to choosing a setup location, the setup location is even more critical for solo hunting. You really need to rely on vegetation, pinch points, um, topography. I mean, those are all your friends when you're solo. Um, you know, using using the top of ridges where you call off the backside and then kind of get up over on the other side. So, you know, that bull has to come all the way up to see the wind. But, you know, that elk is basically going to walk past you as the shooter. And so if really the best way I can explain this is if you think of a boxer, stick and move, stick and move, stick and move. So, um Tim Damon, can you still pull off raking while bugling while holding your bow? Yes. So, um, and we'll, we'll get into that, Tim. So that's a great question. So, um, so and what I mean by stick and move, stick and move, you, you kind of insert call in there. So it's call and move, call and move, call and move. Because remember, the reason we're calling is, you know, we're appealing to that elk's hearing and their curiosity and you know they're going to come to a point where they think they should be able to see that elk that's making the noise well the last thing you want to do is be standing where you just called from because their hang-up spot may be outside your effective range or because of the brush that you're hunting in you may not be able to shoot that far and so that's where especially if i have a bull engaged and i'm working a bull i will call and then I will move downwind and up 15, 20, 25 yards. You're not moving big chunks each time. So it's it's little movements, but you'll be you'll you'll be amazed how just that little bit of 20 yards can really make a difference. <laughs> Diagrams, I know. Um it, that is one thing that as soon as the snow melts, I've got a bunch of tutorial videos that I'm getting with my hunting partners and we are actually going to reenact some of the hunts that we've done in the past where one of those guys are the bull and I'm in the setup and I'm explaining everything, you know, that we've done and just kind of walk through, you know, what I'm doing and, and all that kind of stuff. So you guys can, uh, can see it. So, but so call and move, call and move, call and move. And, and, you know, you may have to move several times like that. Now, as you're moving, you really want to be around aware of your surroundings. You're really scanning through the trees, looking for movement, looking for something coming, trotting in. And if, if you catch any movement or hear anything, you need to stop immediately where you are. Now, it will happen sometimes that that elk will come in faster than you expected. And when that elk comes in and you're just not into a shot opportunity, you may just have to stand perfectly still and be quiet. Let that elk kind of scan around, look for that elk that's making the noise, lose interest, and then turn around and walk back out. Then you call and move again. In fact, I had to do this very same thing on a bull seven, eight years ago. 
um, you know, was just working into him and, and he decided I wasn't coming to him fast enough. And he just was on me in, in a heartbeat. And the neat thing about elk is they will take that same path because they've been on the path. They know there's no danger there. They feel comfortable with it. So usually they will turn and walk out on the same exact path. Well, this bull with his hang-up spot, he was about 75, 80 yards from me. And so I just went quiet and he turned and walked out. And then I called and moved up the hill and he came right back to that point again. Lost interest, turned, walked away. And you want to listen as they're, as they're walking away. So because you want, it, you want them to get far enough out that you can make the noise and move before they get back to that hang-up spot again. And we, we did this three times. And finally, I was getting excited because I'm like, okay, when he turns and walks out, I only need 10 more yards. And then I have the shot angle and the distance that I want. And so I listened for him to go away. Couldn't hear him anymore. I called. And as soon as I started moving, he immediately barked at me. Well, remember, I'd called him in three times. Well, this time what he did when he turned and started working out, he actually looped around some brush, walked into a hole in the brush, and it actually stuck his head through the brush. Because each time he had heard this cow, but each time he came up, that cow was silent. She never presented herself. So they do get smart. So, but the other thing with this too, is I think where a lot of people fail on this is again, they, they, they rush the situation. They push the situation, you know, be patient. So if you don't get a shot opportunity with that bull right there at that time, that doesn't mean that you can't dog him. You can't stay on his trail and maybe re-engage him in a better spot that provides you a better setup to where as a solo hunter, you have a better opportunity. So the other thing is wind. Wind is absolutely critical. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I've talked about it a bunch, play the wind, play the wind, play the wind. But really with here, it's, it's you know, really important because you have to know what that wind is doing before you make any sound. Because before you make that sound, you have to have your game plan. Okay, because like I said, you're already engaged with a bull. You know where he's at. You know the direction that bull is at. Getting that wind set, you have your game plan exactly of what you're going to do and where you're going to move to. So, um, you know, the question was raised, can I still pull off raking and bugling while holding your bow? Yes, you can still do this. The only difference is you are one-handed. So usually either your tube is in your hand or the stick, or there's a new product that just came out on the market from Bendable Products, which is that grunt tube holder. If you take that grunt tube holder and mount it on the hip belt of your pack, you can actually take your arm and bring that tube forward. So the end of the tube sitting right here, 
So you could basically be doing some raking, hold that tube and be doing some huffs or grunts or a little wine into that tube. So that way you can rake and bugle at the same time. But honestly, elk very rarely will rake and bugle at the same time. Extremely rare. So that's why it's one than the other. So, but you can rake a little bit, do some huffs, rake a little bit more, do a little bit wine, you know, just by holding it there. And then your arm comes back around and you move and you're getting set up. So, okay. Uh, to, 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 I saw another question. Oh, uh, Danny, you, you ever use estrus cow calling? <sighs> yes and no. Um, Danny, I don't believe that there really is an estrus cow call. I don't think the cow really makes any special sound when she's in estrus. I know for years we've heard people talking about the estrus buzz or the hyper hot buzz or this or that. I've heard cows do this outside of the rut. That's why I don't feel that that sound is a estrus sound. The other thing I equate it to also is if you're a deer hunter or you follow deer, does that doe ever make a noise when she's ready to breed? Nope. She stands up, she pees, she lets the pheromones in the air release, the buck knows. Same thing with elk. So, um, but there are sounds within the cow's vocalization that have emotion into it that paint the picture. So yes, I will use emotional calling in my setup. And those are things that I kind of cover in the uh, breeding sequence. So uh, killed my six point solo. Nice. The new Carlton ECA read is legit. Took a minute to figure it out and it sounds so sweet. Scott, I appreciate that. In fact, somebody last week asked to hear the ECA read and I didn't catch it until we were done. So There's the ECA read for you guys that wanted to hear that last week and I missed it. So, uh, let's see. Been there this last year, five trips. Uh, if you only have a week to take off vacation for archery elk season, does moon phase play a deciding factor? Colin, great question. Yes, it does. That is actually our topic for next week. So, uh, backwoods hunting sounding good. Appreciate that. Okay. Okay, had to haul one of our buddies out with a compound fracture. Yeah, things things happen out in the woods. So, hey, decoy options, good or bad? Josh, great tie-in. Um, when I'm solo hunting, that is the time that I use decoys a lot. Uh, because, you know, remember, we want to have as many stimuluses on that elk that we can have. We already have the one with us calling. A decoy is a great opportunity, um, especially where, you, you know, you're calling and moving, calling and moving. So what I've done before is I've taken the decoy and set it up where I've called and then moved. And what it does, that, that elk comes up to that spot, 
looks to where the sound came from. Then all of a sudden they see the decoy and it just helps bring them just that little bit extra. The one downfall to this though, is because I set it up here and I called and then I moved. If I wanna move again, I have to come back, get the decoy, move it up to where I'm currently at, call and then you know leave the decoy there and move up again. So that's the one downfall to using a decoy, but it is a great tool to add in when you're solo hunting. So decoy options, there's a couple that I really like. So one of them is the ultimate predator decoy. The reason I like that one is you actually have a few options that you can do with the uh, ultimate predator gear. One is you can mount it right on the front of your bow. It has a big hole in the middle for your sight, your stabilizer, your arrow, everything to go through, but it also helps break you up. So that is another tool that when you're calling and moving, calling and moving, you have that decoy right on the front. The one thing with that though, is if you're gonna put that decoy on the front of the bow, you're going to end up with a lot of frontal shots. So I'm not gonna tell you to take the frontal or not to take the frontal. That's for you to decide yourself. I have taken the frontal shot several times. I like the frontal shot. Um, but I have a few parameters with it. Uh, it's 25 yards or less, level or slightly downhill, no brush, and that bull has to be completely calm. So he can't be on edge. It's a highly effective shot, but everybody's comfort with the shot is different, okay? There's a difference between if you've never shot a bull versus, or, or an elk versus if you have shot a few elk. So that frontal shot can be a whole big debate. So, okay. The other thing that's nice about that wind or, or the ultimate predator decoy is you can also take those Velcro straps and use them as a handle. So if your back is a collar, you can have that in your hand and moving, or you can daisy chain those, those Velcro straps together to put it on a tree. So very useful, you know, versatile decoy that has a lot of different uses. Uses. The other decoy I really like is the butthead from Native by Carlton. I don't really use that one much when I'm solo hunting because to me, that's more of a decoy to use in a two-on-one situation uh, because of size, it does have a pull. Um, I mean, I guess with that pole, you could stab it in the ground and set it and call and move and then come back and grab it. It's, it's not a heavy decoy and it does roll up and will fit, you know, on the outside of your pack very easily. So yeah, I guess you could use, you know, the butt head as a solo hunting decoy also. So, but those are the two. Hardest part of solo hunting for me is nobody to bounce ideas off of, nobody to say, let's keep going, nobody to rely on, but also nobody slowing you down, nobody else to blame for failure. Yes, solo hunting has its positives and its negatives. You're right, it's all on you. But it is nice sometimes to bounce ideas or thoughts off of somebody. I guess you could sit there and have a conversation with yourself on the mountainside, just as long as it doesn't get into a heated argument, but you certainly could, uh, you know, have those arguments or discussions with yourself. So, um, 
So yeah, solo hunting, it, it, you know, pros and cons. So Steve Shelley, I'm, I'm recruiting younger hunters to teach and have us pack mules. I like that idea. So, all right. Uh, Freddie, how you doing, bud? Uh, do you plan on recording any of your hunts this year? Andrew, yes. In fact, this Friday, I have a meeting with my uh, hunting partners. Uh, we're going to kind of discuss some of the brand deals and partner deals we have in place, kind of expectations for the season and scouting trips and things that uh, I want to uh, get done. So the hunts... Um, they're going to be more of educational hunts, so but they will be actual hunts, and I may, you know, edit some of those into um, entertainment type type videos. So, so okay, decoys. Yeah, what is the closest you've had an elk to you? Um, I've had an elk come right up and start nibbling on the leaves, or trying to nibble on the leaves right on the uh, sleeve of my shirt. So, um, that close. So. How long do you stay in an area with no activity the first day? Give it another day or move on. It, it all depends what I'm seeing on signs there, Tufton. If if I'm seeing fresh sign and I know that there's elk there, I'm going to stay in that area a little bit longer. But if I'm not seeing any activity and I'm not hearing any activity, I'm not seeing any fresh sign, I'm not going to stay in there any longer than that. I'm going to move and go find the elk. So... But yeah, so if there's fresh sign, go ahead and stay in there. So, um, okay. Ron Thomas, how you doing? Okay, do you call when sitting on a, sitting on a wallow during early archery season? Charles, I have. And that's one of the things where, you know, sometimes, you know, midday or, or, or solo hunting, those wallows and water sources during midday can be an effective tool because you can control a few of the elements and you can control a few things there. There's things that I will do on that wallow. Um, you know, I'll grab a stick and turn up the water, make it sound like that there's a a bull in there thrashing in a wallow. You know, do some do some calling. Uh, you know, make it sound like a bull kind of playing around in there, and then you know, get away from that wallow on the downwind side. So, you know, it's blowing from that to my face. Or there's been times during the midday where I've sat there and done a breeding sequence around those wallows, almost like a silent calling routine, like we talked about uh, last week, where, you know, you, you kind of break into this breeding sequence and you do a few sounds and you wait, you know, two, three minutes, do a few more sounds um, and just run through that. So yeah, that can be effective during the midday around wallows. Also, another thing you can do is just two or three cow calls. Wait four or five minutes, do two or three cow calls again. Make it sound like a cow that came into that wallow to get a drink. Um, usually if it's an active wallow uh, that's pretty near a bedding area, there's usually a bull that's bedding fairly close to that because he wants to hear and know what's going on on that wallow. Um, so that's where that that cow calling, especially early in the season, can be pretty effective uh, because, you know, that bull is already during that early part looking to round up cows anyways. And you might just be able to get him up out of his bed and come on down to see who is uh, messing around in his wallow. So, uh, Josh, I tend to be solo. Can't get buddies to commit. 
until my son gets a little older, solo is my only plan. Good to have some info on this game plan. Uh, you know, and even if you do hunt with a group, um, sometimes it's just nice to to break off by yourself. You know, go enjoy the mountains, go enjoy the sights and sounds and smells and go enjoy what's going around by yourself. Um, you know, even like I said, hunting with hunting with, uh, you know, partners, it's it's great, uh, you know, but there's just that solitude time in the mountains is just so great for you to recharge. So, um, OK, that was me. Thank you. Sounds real good. Oh, Nicholas, you were the one that asked about the ECA read. OK, perfect. Andy, if you're having a hard time with a seal on that, remember, that's the large tape. Go ahead and get scissors and cut that down. So uh, elk team six, how far to set up from the decoy? Well, that's the thing that, like I said, if you're solo hunting, you're not going to really be that far from the decoy because you're setting that decoy up. You're ma making your sounds and then you're doing that half moon and moving up. So you're only moving that 20, 20 to 30 yards, maybe. So uh, you're not moving very far about it because you don't want to go too far because if you move too far and do some more, you know, sounds and you do some more calling, that decoy at that point is completely non-effective and it adds no value to your setup. So you want to be close enough to it that it adds realism and realistic um, so that when that elk does come up to that hangout point, looks down, you it can see that decoy easily because it's already going to be looking in the general area where that sound came from. So, um, yeah. So about 25, 30 yards. So Vincent, have you ever hunted from a tree stand for elk? Heard they're not used to being hunted this way and really works. I was thinking saddle so I can still stock. Yes, I have sat in a tree stand a little bit. Um, I'm just not that patient enough to sit in a tree stand. Every time I get in a tree stand, I know that there's a bull on the backside of that ridge. I'm staring at bugling and dang it. I just, I, I got to go over there. I know he's there. I know he's bugling for a fact, but a lot of times it happens that as soon as I get in the tree stand and get over to the other side of that ridge, he's gone quiet or moved on, but I know he was there bugling before. So um, no, I have a lot of friends that uh, tree stand is, is the way that they hunt elk and they're extremely effective at it. So Okay, um, let's talk about the uh, giveaway. I told you guys kind of a teaser. So um, we have teamed up, teamed up with Ready Nutrient to offer a giveaway to kind of the patron members. So here's what we're going to do. We are sitting at 38 or 39 patrons. As soon as we hit the 50 mark on our patron page, and you can just go to elkcallingacademy.com. That'll take you right there. As soon as we hit 50 patrons, we're going to pull, pull one patron. And that individual is going to get the ready to grow pack. Uh, what that ready to grow pack is, is it's your, it, ha, it, it contains the ballistic, which is a pre-workout. Uh, the magma, which is branch chain amino acids and electrolytes, seismic, which is creatine, and their tough whey protein. So this package is about $150 value. Um, your membership in Patreon is 15 bucks a month is the herd bull. But, you know, we really haven't talked about what Patreon is. So, you know, Patreon is, it is a monthly membership 
platform. So there's three levels. There's Spike, Raghorn, and Herd Bull. Spike is $5, Raghorn is $10, Herd Bull is $15. Each level comes with more advantages. Now, any patron, we have teamed up with several of our partners to offer discounts to the patrons. Um, you know, Scree Gear is offering 10% off to patron members. Initial Ascent is offering 10% off. Black's Creek Guide Gear is offering 15% off. Um, 6 a.m. Outdoors is offering 10% off. Ready Nutrients is offering a, a, a discount. So there are discounts and there are advantages. Um, the Herd Bull also gets every two to three weeks a new calling lesson video, which is the same information that I teach in the one-on-one -on -one lessons. So herd bulls are getting that information just as if they were doing private lessons with me. So, you know, you guys have heard me talk about the breeding sequence. These guys are getting the breeding sequence. So they're getting that information. The other thing is uh, once a week for raghorns and herd bulls, do a live Q&A session just for that group um, to where a lot of these questions that sometimes I can't really answer with those guys, the book's open. There is no questions that are off limits except for the GPS location of my hunting areas. So now we have a lot more giveaways stacked up on the Patreon as we reach different levels. So once we hit 50, it's this ready to grow bundle from ready nutrients. As soon as we reach 100, somebody's winning a um, a 4K pack system from Initial Ascent. Um, once we reach 200, somebody is getting the full pro staff bundle from um, Scree Gear. So you're talking about winning five, six, seven hundred dollars worth of gear in these giveaways. And, you know, once we reach 400 patron members, I'm drawing one person, they get to pick any hunting bow on the market. They could pick the $1,700 Hoyt if they wanted to. Um, once we reach 500, um, somebody's getting drawn, they're getting a backcountry e-bike mule 750. So, and these giveaways, once we reach those thresholds and maintain those thresholds, these giveaways become annual giveaways. So, so basically you're getting specialized private Q&A sessions, you're getting private calling videos, um, discounts on gear. So there's a lot of advantages. We do have a community tab in there um, so that you can go in and, you know, have community conversations with everybody. I have heard from a few of you that you don't want to do the monthly that you would rather just pay annually. I am sitting down this weekend and building our website that will have the shop with all the gear, but I have to wait until I can get up in the mountains to finish recording all of the lessons. But the e-course will be on the website with the annual subscription and all the, excuse me, all these giveaways. Everybody from the website will roll into those giveaways. So, okay, there we go. Talked about Patreon. Let's get back into solo and answering questions. Ah, do, 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 do. Glad to hear Ultimate Predator. I want one of those decoys. Uh, Danny, frontal for Playboy, not for me, elk hunting. So 
Uh, Scott, Scott touched on it, but motivation. What keeps you motivated on solo, solo hunts when you get the long days and miles start taking a toll mentally and physically on you? That is one of the tough things, Chris, when solo hunting. And honestly, sometimes when I get into that mode with, you know, motivate, you know, motivations running down, just kind of getting your tail kicked in. There are times where I will actually hike a little bit higher up on the mountain to where maybe I can just find a little bit of cell coverage and I'll just call home. I'll call and talk to my wife for a little bit. And she usually will kind of put me back into the mental state and you know, kind of get me going again. So um, if you have that opportunity, definitely take advantage of that. Sometimes even, even if it's a text message or something that can help refire that motivation, but it definitely happens. All right, Nick, I guess more hangups as well with the Predator. If they can see a decoy at 60, what are the odds they keep coming in? Well, it, it depends. So, Nick, you're exactly right. Sometimes they can hang up a little farther out because of that decoy, but also it can get them to come in a little bit farther too because even though they can see that elk at 60 yards, they can't smell it. And the fact that you've been doing this breeding sequence, you know, their whole point of coming in is they want to scent check that cow. They want to they want to really verify that that cow is an estrus. So a lot of times they'll come up, they'll hold up, boom, they lock into the decoy and then they just come straight walking right in. I've seen it before with bulls come in that are all tense. And as soon as that decoy, you kind of see their muscles relax a little bit and they just come walking right on in. So... All right. Uh, Bryce Nelson, how you doing, bud? Love the content. I'm glad you're filming this year. Excited to see those. When in doubt, call the Elk Whisperer. <laughs> Charles, yes, I know. You did call me from the mountainside. And and last year I did. I, I got a few messages from uh, phone calls and people. And, and you know, sometimes it's, it's those messages that kind of help me, you know, get back into it and get that mental capacity. So uh, what do you think about staying out of hunting when raining? Do you bail or stay out? It depends how much it's raining and how long it's going to be raining. Um, you know, I'm a constant, uh, you know, I constantly keep my eye on the weather and what's coming. If it's just a little bit of rain, I don't mind it. But if it's a heavy downpour, um, heavy downpours, I typically don't hunt in. Um, it's, it's not because I'm not afraid of getting wet. I have really good rain gear. Uh, it's more so that if I do get an arrow in an animal, that that heavy rain is going to wash that blood trail away quickly. And, you know, there's always that chance that the shot may not be perfect, that, it, you know, something definitely could happen. Um, and so, no, I, I, Heavy rains, typically I will stay, I'll get out of there. Now, if it is just a heavy rain that's going to last for only a short amount of time, I'll find a group of trees or something that I can crawl under to, you know, get out of that rain and let it pass 
and then get right back to hunting. Um, but if it looks like it's going to be there for a while, yeah, I'll, I'll bail off the mountain. So Nimrod Outdoors, how you doing? Do you stage so you are ready as soon as it stops raining? Yes. So that's kind of what was just talking about. So it, it, it all depends on how long that rain is, is, is going to be going. So uh, Elk Team 6, what, ex what essentials, first aid, radio, et cetera, when you, would you consider mandatory for hunting? So definitely a first aid kit, understanding how to use that first aid kit. So I'm sorry, you can pack a first aid kit, but if you don't have a clue what those things are for, it doesn't do you any good at all. So definitely take, if you're a solo hunter, and especially if you're a solo hunter that goes in the backcountry a little bit, definitely take a class on first aid and CPR with the focus on self-administered first aid. As far as the radio goes, you know, the spot and a lot of those uh, prices on those are really uh, getting better priced and they are great tools uh, to have. So if you're a solo guy that's going in the backcountry, it's a must. So also, if you are a solo guy, before you leave the house, leave a hunt plan with your wife or somebody there at the house and stick to that hunt plan. And that hunt plan basically lists where you're parking, where you're hiking, where you're going to be hunting. I mean, all that stuff. And honestly, what's really cool now with OnX is you could have OnX, your spouse can have OnX, and you can basically link your account so that you are sharing pins and you are sharing your tracks with your spouse so that your spouse can actually keep tabs on you and know that you're okay. So, so there's definitely some great things to stay in contact, but that hunt plan is the very first thing you need to do before you leave the house. And if you deviate from that hunt plan at all, you need to call home and let whomever know that you have deviated from your hunt plan. So um, just because if anything does happen, they're going to go to where your hunt plan is. They're going to go to that. If you deviated from that, they don't have a clue, which, you know, that can really be the difference between life and death. So solo hunters, this is a, an extremely critical piece. We've all seen accidents happen. So how long do you usually wait after shooting an elk? It really depends. Uh, there's times I've sat down for a couple of hours. There's times I've only sat down for 10, 15 minutes. So um, it all depends on shot location, what I'm seeing, how the animal, you know, responded to the shot. Um, so there's a lot of clues and there's a lot of things that you kind of need to gather. So there's really not one definitive answer on that, Kelly. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a situational type deal. So. Uh, do you employ a cover scent when using the decoy? I, I don't. I have in the past and I've used um, um, cow elk estrus. Uh, uh, hot, on the trail hot on the trail scents actually makes a stick uh, that I've used for several years now. I just I, I really like it because it's. It's a solid that I can actually just scrape onto the bark. It's not overpowering and I don't have to worry about it spilling in my pack and ruining my sandwich or my lunch or anything like that. So, so sometimes I will. So, 
Uh, ability to share pins with friends and family is so awesome. Yes. So I'm going to send it on a 400 inch bull this year. I look forward to seeing the pictures. So uh, my wife has 21 elk points here in Utah, hoping she will draw this year and we can get it, uh, can tag a great one. Best of luck to you guys. So Matt Jones, what camo do you, you use? So um, I just recently switched over to Scree Gear. That is one of our, our partners now that does have a pretty sweet discount for uh, patron members. Um, I've actually kind of watched them for a little over the year, really looked at their stuff. Um, it's great quality gear. It is a layering system that starts with a merino wool base and goes from there. Uh, but the thing I love about them is their price. In fact, you can get their extreme weather bundle, which basically has every piece they have for $1,700. That kit right there would cover you from 90, 95 degrees all the way down to zero degrees. Um, I have worn Cryptek in the past that has held up and worked really, really well. Same thing with King's Camo. So uh, those are the ones that, uh, uh, you know, I, I really like and have, have personally used. So um, do you use trail cams to scout? If so, what type do you like video or pick mode? So great question. Yes, trail cameras are a great tool. Uh, in fact, um, we will do a video on that. But basically what I do is when I set trail cameras out, I, I basically mark the pin on my OnX, but I number them with the camera number and the year. So all of my cameras are numbered one, two, three, four, five, six. I have multiple memory cards for those that are also numbered one, two, three, four, five, six. Number one cards only go with number one camera, two go with two, three go with three, and so on. So when I set that trail camera and I mark that pin, I number that pin as 1-19. So I know that's camera number one, year 2019. And I do that for all my cameras. I will usually let my cameras set for three weeks at a minimum before I go back in. I never go in and look at the pictures right there. I just go in, swap cards, do my loop, come back to camp, and then I start going through the pictures. Now, since they're numbered, I know exactly what pictures are coming from what camera. And then when I get back home, I can pull up my OnX on my computer and I can see exactly, you know, what cameras are producing. And if I have a couple of cameras that are producing some pretty good pictures, um, but I have another camera that's nearby that's not maybe producing, I'll move that other camera closer to this one that's producing so that I can get kind of a direction of travel. You know, how is that elk coming in or going out of that camera that's producing all the pictures. Then based on this direction of travel, then I can again go to the computer, go to OnX, and based on topography and terrain and all that stuff, I can really establish kind of travel corridors, where they're bedding, where they're feeding. I can use all this information um, to, you know, really narrow down and figure out what these elk are doing. So do you set your cameras to still pics or video mode? I like still pics. Um, once in a while, if it's a wallow or something like that, which I don't set cameras on wallows a ton, uh, but sometimes I will. 
when it's on something like a wallow or this or that, sometimes I will switch it to video mode just because it's kind of cool to watch them come in and play in those wallows sometimes. So um, sometimes you'll get videos of elk coming in that are acting like, uh, you know, kids playing in a mud puddle. So it's really cool to watch that video. All right. Heads up decoy. Haven't heard too much on that one. Um, they've been out for a little while. So I want to say, let's see, I've had my decoy two years. So, um, but they make uh, elk, deer, antelope, turkey. Um, they have quite a few different decoys within that lineup and all of them act the same way. So, depends on the hit. Okay, that's that. Love that seismic and magma. Patreon herd bull equals secret secret squirrel type stuff. It's great. Scott, I love that. So any thought on Wapiti Outdoors Kryptonite Reed? I, I played with that reed just a little bit. It's it's actually stretched a little tighter than what I prefer in a reed. Uh, I prefer a reed that's that's not stretched quite so tight, that's a little more responsive. Um, but for a collar that is a heavy tongue type collar, um, that kryptonite will be a really, really good read. So if you're someone that uses a light stretch read and you find that that read really stalls out or you overblow it, the kryptonite would be a good choice for you because it is stretched a little bit tighter. So, all right. Uh, okay, Steve, question. It's just turned daylight and you get a response to your locator bugle or next step. So my next step is first off, do I have a pinpoint of exactly where that bull is? So if the answer to that is yes, then I start moving his direction. Um, but while I'm moving his direction, I'm also listening and paying attention to what is he, what he's doing. You know, is he cracking off more? Is he still in the same place? Is he on the move? So I'm kind of regathering or I'm kind of gathering all that information as I'm moving. And that way I can adjust my course if need be based on what that bull is doing. If no, I don't have an exact spot or location of where that bull is, I'm going to stay put and try to get him to crack off again so that I can pinpoint his location and then start moving. So, Steve, hope that answered your question. So, thought you would find my joke on Frontal and Playboy or more funny. I was just messing. No, Danny, I did find it humorous. So, I have to pr I, I have to maintain this professionalism here. So, I mean, no, it was it was a good one. So, uh to do easier for me to pay annually okay yeah so uh and there's a few of you that feel that way and that's why we want to provide as many options as you guys so uh matter setting up so they can't see till your preferred shot distance as well i guess yes so and that's really all part of it you know with that solo hunting is um like i said you know using these setups as that critical point so that you know you're almost forcing that elk into um almost like a pinch corridor so i mean they're still animals they're still going to do what they want to do um but if you if you control kind of that terrain the vegetation um you know where you're calling and where you're moving for all these variables to get that shot opportunity now there are going to be times that you're going to get caught in a situation or in a position that is just not optimal uh, if you do find yourself in that sometimes it's best just to go quiet 
let that elk lose interest and start wandering off. And then you move to a better, higher percentage setup area. And then you re-engage that elk and start working again. And so um, it, I, I've learned it the hard way sometimes of, of trying to force the situation and make it happen. And I ended up just, you know, losing that bull and not having the ability to get back on him where had I just gone quiet and then, you know, rechanged my positioning and then re-engaged uh, much, much better effect. So, okay. Evening, sir. Great to be here. Always learn a lot from you. Can't wait to apply it this year. Got drawn for elk in Arizona. Going to be absorbing all the knowledge I can. Scott Williams, congratulations on drawing. So that's cool. Uh, do you use Luminox on arrows? No, I do not. Um, Luminox or Illuminated Nox are not legal in Idaho. We cannot use them. I do understand the advantage of them. I think they're a great tool. Um, if we were allowed to use them, yes, I would. For one, it's easier to recover your arrow and you can get some great information about the hit, which ties into Kelly's question earlier about how long do you wait before tracking. The other thing about Luminox is I just think it's really cool to watch the flight of the arrow. And Luminox is one of those things. I mean, I just, I don't know how many of you love watching the flight of an arrow, but I absolutely love it. And that's one thing I wish that we could have Luminox for just so I could enjoy shooting even more. So uh, when doing preseason digital scouting, how do you identify areas that might hold good summering bulls? What do you look for digitally when looking into a new area to scout? Uh, Nimrod, great question. I am actually going to do a YouTube video on that to where I can pull up a few of my tools, actually do some screenshots. So it's pretty hard uh, you know, on a live to kind of show or explain, but I will do a video on that. I do have that on my um, to-do list. So, uh, Jay, I'm CPR first aid certified. Okay, you must be talking to somebody else. Uh, my phone GPS tells my wife where I am. I know because she was curious as to why I was in a different area. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great tools um, to stay in touch. So Caleb love watching the flight and when the light disappears right behind the shoulder of a big bull or deer. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely cool. Gotta love that. So, okay. Other people kind of chiming in. Any Dallas Fort Worth Texans in here, Rob is asking. So if there's anybody on, whether whatever platform, if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, let us know so we can uh, let Rob know that there's other DFW individuals here. Uh, let's see. Located a bullet 75 yards away. He turned and started pushing downhill, fired up six bugles in five minutes as I was running to flank him. Once I got the wind perfect, he gave me one grunt. Was he too smart? Um. <sighs> There's a few things that, that, that could have happened, um, you know, 75 yards, you know, remember they can see through the trees a lot better than what we can. Um, I mean, without knowing exactly what the wind was doing, um, you know, what the terrain was like, what the vegetation was like, um, it could have been a few different things. So it could have been one, um, 
you know, he heard you or saw you running and we don't run like elk do. So, you know, definitely there's a lot more noise when we're running. They can kind of clue into those things and it's not a natural sound. It's a different sound. Um, so they kind of, you know, equate that to mm, that's not really elk running. Something's not right here. Doesn't sound right. Or it, you know, it could have also been that a lot of times when elk are on the move like that and they start getting close to their bedding area, they'll go quiet. They'll give one or two last little sounds and then they'll go quiet the last little 100, 200 yards to their bedding area. They don't mind sounding off as they're moving, but as they get close to that bedding area, they tend to kind of go quiet a little bit for the last little because they really want to listen to hear what's following them. They want to know that they're 100% safe before they really bed down into that area. So how many days do you hunt a certain drainage? So Lance, typically the way, uh oh, we lost our Instagram feed. So, all right. We will finish up um, a little bit more with Facebook and YouTube. I'll finish up this question. So typically the way we hunt, we will hunt one area for a day and then we will back out and hunt another area and not come back to that first drainage or area for, uh, you know, a day or two. Um, we, we really like to start leaving, you know, we, we really like to leave those elk in their normal pattern as much as possible. Plus, if you break it up that way, uh, you're not dropping as much scent into that area and can kind of keep them in their normal patterns just a little bit more. So, all right. I've still got a ton of questions. I'm going to hang on to those. So next week, we are going to cover moon phases, autumn equinox, all that kind of stuff, and narrow down uh, what I think are going to be the prime weeks for 2019. Certainly appreciate each and every one of you tuning in tonight. Um, ooh, I've got a lot of stuff to go through here. So, all right, guys, I appreciate each and one of you, each and every one of you. So remember, if you have not joined the Patreon page, definitely there's a lot of advantages in there. So elkcallingacademy.com will take you over there. Appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning in. As always, keep calling, keep practicing. Most importantly, though, have fun. We will see you guys next week on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. Have a great week, everybody. Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.